Daddy, 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 daddy. Yes, Andrew? Daddy. Chris got an N64 for Crixmix. Can I go over to his house for the night? Did you pick up your Tories? Yes. Did you eat your dinner? Yes, you saw me. I cleaned my plate. Okay, Andrew, you can go. Yay! Best daddy ever! You're welcome, Andrew. This is Control Structure, episode 77 for January 6th, 2014. 2015. Big week to everyone listening. This show does have show notes. Visit thenexus.tv slash CS77 to see them. Uh, We have the host, Stephen Orvis. Hi, Andrew. And I am the other host, Andrew Bailey. Hi, Steve. Hi, Andrew. I just felt like mixing it up a little bit there, you know? It's mixed up. Yes. Uh, 2015. So, uh, yeah, we, uh, the podcast network had the, uh, sort of big year-end show. So, uh, I believe you enjoyed, uh, coming on that. Yeah, that was a good time. Then afterwards, we, in the fringe after, we got to talk about hunting and stuff briefly, briefly with Matt there. So that was fun. Yeah, it, it was kind of weird there that, uh, Matt was all apprehensive about you, and then you're, like, best friends by the time it was over. <laughs> so yeah i guess that's what happens when uh the mailman you know gets too much work i guess i guess uh so uh yeah uh looks like uh, the the internet archive uh released a whole bunch of games and the version of uh the oregon trail that i liked and uh actually had is now playable in your browser for free so thanks internet archive uh, I believe they uh, just posted, I think it, it was 2,400 uh, DOS games. So this is, like, huge. So, like, if you grew up in the 90s and had a DOS game that you really liked, it might be in here. See, and that already happened for me because in the Fringe there we were talking. I was like, you know, way back when I used to play this game, Great Naval Battles, it was really fun. And you Googled it and, up oh, there it was. Well, no, I actually... Or you I actually, didn't Google, you searched it. Yeah. Wrong word. It's the, it's the uh, what verb that everyone uses meaning to search something. Doesn't mean you have to use Google to do that. I think it kind of implies it in the definition. <laughs> well. So, so along with that, there's also where in the world is Carmen San Diego, like the original one from like 1985. Uh, fun fact: uh, the TV show is actually based off of the game and not the other way around. Pretty really? strange. Yeah. Yeah. So, and also the spiritual predecessor to Fallout, uh, Wasteland, uh, the, you know, the one uh, released in like 87 or 88, I believe we may have talked about uh, the guy behind that on this show, so uh, you can go and check out to see what that's all about. So, and thanks to EM DOSBox, you can run DOS, DOS apps in, right in your browser. Uh, so it's the uh, DOSBox port to mscripten, uh, which compiles to C and C++ to JavaScript, which, as you know, is the uh, language of web browsers. 
so uh, you know, I believe this is a rather recent uh, development. So, like as you kind of notice there, the uh, the sound, uh, at least the uh, MIDI uh, quality, is uh, not exactly great, uh, especially on the Oregon Trail there. The uh, main music, uh, or at least the music for the main menu, is totally messed up. Uh, but uh, fortunately, there is an easy fix for that. Uh, if you pretty much remove the uh, URL parameters and just have like that dot .zip there on the end, like it'll give you the actual URL of the uh, code that it's trying to run. And uh, download that, and you can pretty much get it running in DOSBox with a little bit of uh, knowledge of how to uh, do the config files for it. And uh, you know, as you as you experienced, uh, it actually runs at a proper speed. Yeah, they they did a, did do a good job of tuning them properly because before I've I've ran things in DOSBox, and it always takes some trial and error error to find a, a speed that actually kind of works and makes sense and doesn't make your the, the deer run too fast across the screen when you're trying to shoot at them or something. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, go and uh, check that out. So, uh, let's see. You know, DOS, that was like the last Microsoft product that uh, Bill Gates actually wrote code for. <laughs> oh, I saw that. That was in there too, wasn't the donkey? Is it Do- donkey or something like that? That's the-, the one he wrote, the batch... Yeah, like the uh, the basic, the one in basic. Yeah, what was it called? Uh, I I forget, but you know, you, it's probably in there somewhere. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, you know, you you know, everyone supposes that you know, you know, Windows is from Microsoft, so Bill Gates must have wrote it. Uh, actually, Bill Gates has not written any code for Windows, um, at least at least in the past what twenty years or so. Yeah, you you get in a position very quickly as a kind of a managing type of person. I know from at work that people, even people who are, w- would be capable of writing code and would be quite brilliant at it, are far more valuable as a business person, and so they aren't allowed to write code. So, a quick joke: if Bill Gates had a nickel for every time Windows crashed, he'd wait. He does. Yeah. <laughs> so so now so now that he's gotten all the nickels from every time Windows has crashed, he's actually doing something with all those nickels. Uh so he's been he's uh, actually been gone from Microsoft for quite a long time. Uh so he's been going around doing a whole bunch of uh philanthropic work and his latest endeavor is building a water a uh, like a uh, a some kind of like a waste treatment plant that turns crap into water, like uh, ac- like toilet crap. You know when you do a number two. Uh, so, so, so the most interesting part about this was they're saying like most uh, sewage treatment plants today will either take the waste and uh, dry it out and bury it in the desert, or they will incinerate it. But they're saying what they're doing, they're burning it too. But what uh-huh. makes them different than everyone else is they're actually using the heat produced from burning the waste matter into steam energy and using that steam energy then to make electricity. And they say that they're actually producing extra power out of this plant. So the fuel to run the plant literally is the sewage going into the plant. Yeah. So, like, they're trying to get this deployed in uh, Africa and India. Uh, you know, so that, you know, that will actually ironically turn, uh, 
you know, like human waste into a commodity that actually has value. Yes. <laughs> so, um, like, you know, sanitation is like one of the basic uh, constructs to, you know, healthy living. Uh, so, you know, like, even though we were kind of joking there on Oregon Trail about, you know, cholera and dysentery and like all those other diseases, like in parts of the world, those are those uh, are big problems. And, uh, you know, once you, you know, take care of like all your crap, then uh, like health starts to improve quite a bit. You know, like clean drinking water is pretty important. Yes, definitely. So and now uh, Kickstarter. Uh, they have uh, changed payment processors. So before, and uh, unfortunately we don't have uh, Tom Chris on here, uh, before you had to go to Amazon and create... I'm sorry, I was testing on my Android phone to see if Oregon Trail works. <laughs> <laughs> it does, so far. <laughs> and and, it, and the uh, MIDI quality sounds exactly the same on mine. Yep. So, uh, anyways, uh, Tom and Chris, uh, like, actually tried to do a Kickstarter. And uh, when you do that, you have to open up some sort of Amazon business account. Uh, yes, an Amazon payments business account. Uh, so, like, apparently, uh, like, whatever thing that Amazon had, uh, like, they're not doing that anymore. So they've switched over to Stripe. And with uh, Stripe, you can actually connect up a, uh, a you know, an actual banking account, you know, routing number and stuff. Uh, so you don't really have to go through any kind of uh, nasty approval process for it, which I heard that the uh, Amazon business account was uh, quite a hurdle to do. So the other nice aspect of this, too, is it sounds like it's just going to be a credit card thing. Now you go through and process it and type in the credit card. I've had issues with Amazon payments in the past of them having my account locked and lots of issues with that, with with them in general. So it's kind of nice for me. Um, in, in my uh, dealings or in my experience that uh, I haven't really had much problem with uh, Amazon payments. Since, like, that was, like, the only place that actually stored my credit card. So, and, uh, I believe somehow I've managed to, uh, wiggle that out of there and told them to delete it. So, I'm not sure if that's, like, actually truly deleted or not. <laughs> he said it was deleted. But really. So, um, yeah. It looks like this will, uh, you know, help ease the process of creating a Kickstarter. Um, and let's see... Uh, in fact, one of these questions here, I'm about to launch a project. Should I wait? And the answer is we always recommend launching whenever you're ready. Uh, you know, if you've completed the steps of the project build and have the green light to launch and want to go live, then go forth. Um, you know, if you're still working on getting that set up, we should be fully transitioned to Stripe by next week. Uh, so it looks like they are, uh, like from now on, it'll look like, uh, all new, uh, projects will be using this. Uh, so we've already started moving projects over to the new system, and by next week it will be in place for all new projects. So there you go. Thank you.
Raspberry. 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 I forgot we did the raspberry thing, and I realized I was already talking about the article. <laughs> Anyways, we're here. So, this one is about the penguin lifelines. Evidently, there is a researcher whose name is Jonathan Palmet from Cambridge Consultants. Uh, and he's working on this project where they're monitoring penguins using a Raspberry Pi. And what's noteworthy about this is the Pi is rated to be used from 0 degrees Celsius to 70 degrees Celsius, but they're actually using it at consistent temperatures of negative 42 Celsius, and they've, which is 45 Fahrenheit below mm-hmm. zero. And they've been doing this for about a year now, and it's working for them. So, so the, let's see, what are they actually doing? What is the application of this? Uh, it's looking like they're using a, a camera on it and just kind of like taking pictures. Uh, it says that it's the penguins trigger the camera, and so it's like a motion sensing thing. It says uh, one regular camera, and then one with no infrared filter, and there's one with an infrared flash. So they're taking pictures in the dark of them too, and it says that they're using them to count the penguins on the image. So they're doing some sort of a tracking of like numbers of how many penguins there is to there. But evidently, that's a would be a really cheap research, researching tool for them to use because your pie is pretty cheap even if it did break, but it seems to be going strong here. Hmm. Yeah, it looks like they're doing some sort of population monitoring. So, yeah, it's pretty pretty interesting there. So it looks like, uh, uh, you know, they're taking the pictures and then they're sent uh, to the Iridium satellite network. And it's all powered by external lead-acid batteries, which are topped up by uh, solar panels. So, yeah. So, uh... I've actually, I've actually thought that something that would be kind of fun to do, just the, the idea of having a pie out someplace outside and it's just, like, powered by solar energy. Yeah, that that was my original idea with, uh... Like, I think I might have shown you my uh, external USB battery. Ah, uh, yes. I and, have seen that. And then, have you also seen my uh, solar panel? You told me about it. I forget if I've seen it or not, but I'm pretty sure you told me about that. Yes. So the idea was to, you know, connect up the solar panel to the battery and then have the battery run the uh, Raspberry Pi. But the problem with my devious plan is that the battery will not uh, export energy when it is receiving energy. So like when it's charging, Mm -hmm. it will not, you know, uh, give off any other, uh, like any other uh, power. So it's like a one-time kind of deal, like one thing at a time. Okay. It kind of sucks that way. Yeah, that that would have been a pretty pretty fun project to have off-the-shelf parts like that you could just plug in and go. So I think that might just be a uh, bug in my particular uh, set of hardware. Um, but uh, anyways, I uh, believe we were talking about Moz JPEG not too long ago. And uh, yes. Moz, uh, Moz JPEG 3 came out, I uh, believe it was a week or two ago. Uh, just before the new year, and uh, it now has uh, API and ABI compatibility with libjpeg turbo, so this should be a drop-in replacement for it. Um, so the uh, like a big feature is that a uh, like uh, the quality of text uh, in JPEG has uh, gone up quite a bit now. So in their sample images, could you tell the difference? Uh, yes, quite a bit there. Okay. Because uh, on this link, it uh, is quite uh, quite amazing there. Maybe maybe I looked at a different one than you, but the one I saw, 
I couldn't really tell a difference, but there was a lighthouse. Yeah, I think this is the one I was looking at. See? So, I can't tell too much of a difference. So, on the lighthouse, uh, with the, uh, with the left one, you can sort of see banding in the blue. Yeah, the, the lighthouse, I can definitely see the banding. Yeah, and on the, uh, right, it clears up, but, uh, on the, uh, comic above that, uh, you can see quite a bit of noise around the text, uh, but not on the Moz JPEG. I, it's there, but it's, it's not. Uh, it's, I can see mm. a little bit of it in the red, but with the, uh, black on white, it's pretty much gone. See, I'm feeling like that's one of those things that if I, uh, zoomed it in and looked at it close, you kind of notice it more. Yeah, the, uh, the one in the middle and the one on the left is terrible. So, and, uh, if you click on the link of I fixed that, it'll actually, sh- uh, show an explanation of, you know, what ha- what is happening behind the scenes. And, you know, it's pretty much because you're doing a minimum signal and a maximum signal, uh, but the way that the, uh, uh, frequencies are encoded because the JPEGs are essentially, uh, frequency encoded. Um, that, uh, like there's, like, uh, how should I say this? There's uh, no overshooting going on and, uh, but, uh, in normal encoders, but with a uh, Moz JPEG now, uh, you know, it overshoots it by quite a bit. So, you know, it's, it replicates that minimum maximum signal quite well. See, I'm seeing his examples on this. I fixed that link. Like, down below, it shows, like, a picture from a book and has, like, a chapter heading of performance, number five performance. Uh-huh. Like, there, I can see the difference there. I also love the comic. The number one programmer excuse for legitimately slacking off. My code's compiling. Hey, get back to work. Compiling. Oh, carry on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, and then it gives some, uh, graphs of, uh, like, uh, was it, I forget what, what is it, like decibels, uh, like, uh, signal quality, peak signal to noise ratio, I think, uh, versus file size. Um, so, yeah, it looks, it seems like Mozilla always likes, uh, charts like these. But there's, uh, quite a bit more to, uh, encoding efficiency than peak signal to noise. But, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, from what I know about, uh, encoding, uh, you know, I kind of enjoy explanations like these. Yeah, this one's definitely very in-depth. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I'm, I've been searching around for binaries to use, but right now it looks like it's source only. Uh, so I haven't been able to, uh, you know, haven't had the, fa- had, have not found the time to, uh, boot up my, uh, Linux virtual machine and, uh, try this out. So, but I will definitely be, uh, using this and converting and increasing the quality on all of the images on my blog, uh, you know, like, as I can, because I've, for most of the images, I have, like, the original big, uh, size in a PNG. So I just like rescale and like resave yeah. as JPEG essentially. So you'd be able to convert all of those old ones back to your newer, nicer, prettier formats. Yes, or and and of course, data. and of course, uh, keep the uh, keep the originals. So yes. Uh, uh, speaking of uh, upgraded software, uh, Postgres uh, nine point four also came out last month, and. Uh, like I can't see any kind of uh like really like better features uh but it uh says that you know it has uh, more flexibility and scalability uh features uh so uh apparently there's the new JSON B data type uh 
which I'm pretty sure that uh, Postgres had some sort of JSON features before, like especially on uh, like connections. Uh, but uh, you know, if you can store JSON natively in your database, then it makes it more flexible. You know, especially with uh, like all these NoSQL database engines. So, uh, do you recall uh, that uh, Microsoft uh, was forced to make a uh, browser ballot uh, for European computers? I do recall there being a stink about Microsoft and how they pushed people to a favorable program default choices that favored Microsoft. Uh, so, uh, this came to light uh, uh, the, uh, towards the end of last month that uh, news about the ending of the ballot emerged from an update posted to Microsoft's support site. In the note, it gave advice to system administrators about how to turn off the ballot screen. And it seems that uh, uh, the sort of agreement or the order for Microsoft to do this has expired. So the interesting thing is Microsoft is actually expecting that there's system admins out there that absolutely hate the fact that the user's may not use IE. So, like, if you're in a corporate environment, uh, it sort of makes sense, but in a corporate environment, you usually have a system image. Yeah, so you would have built it kind of the way you would want to build it. So... But let's use, like, software that's specific to IE. Yeah. So, uh, I remember that there was a uh, slight issue that uh, wasn't uh, detected for about six months in that uh, Windows 7 Service Pack 1 sort of disabled this for a while when it originally came out. Um, but, uh, like, the whole, uh, like, reason behind this has sort of dissolved since, uh, you know, depending on who's counting, Internet Explorer only has about 25% of the uh, browser market. Yeah, it's, it's actually kind of fair-ish now. People, people know that there's other options out there. They've heard of them at least even if they don't use them. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, do you recall uh, Lava Bit? Lava Bit. No, okay. not actually. Okay. Uh, this was an encrypted email server, uh, or rather service, uh, that uh, a guy by the name of Edward Snowden once used and uh, was subsequently shut down uh, not too long after the NSA leaks uh, what about a year and a half ago? Uh, you know, it was shut down under very mysterious circumstances, and the uh idea was is that the government, you know, kind of demanded uh, the encryption keys for everything, and he's like, okay, fine, and then turned it off. So um, he, he did it. He did give the encryption keys, but then he just shut it down, so it was no good. Yeah, is that what he did? Ha. Uh, so <laughs> so what did he get back at him? <laughs> it's like so, okay, so. <laughs> So that guy, Ladar Levinson, uh, plus a couple of other guys, uh, especially one like uh, Phil, Zimmer Phil Zimmerman, uh, a.k.a. the guy who made PHP, uh, rather PGP, rather, uh, too many P uh, acronyms. Uh, uh, so PGP is the most... Uh, the most widely employed uh, method of encrypting emails. Uh, so these guys have got together and uh, they're trying to figure out uh, like an entirely new set of protocols uh, that would essentially exchange email uh, like all encrypted. So this is, uh, you know, I feel that this is, you know, the next step, uh, you know, in email ev evolution, if you can say that. 
Um, like they want to keep the uh, the Federation features of email alive, but uh, keep you know everything as possible encrypted. So, so the interesting thing about the model was they're saying not just the data you're sending is important to be private, but also the fact of who it came from and who it's going to is important that it be private. So by because they're limiting each step along the right way, only the this sender or receiver server would know who it's going to and who it came from, and so that kind of eliminates you from snooping on who who's sending this the original guy that sent this email. Yeah. So uh you know the the very uh poignant thing about this is you know sh- you know sure like when you send them send an email like who it's from isn't necessarily important in order to deliver it uh but the uh t- the recipient address is very important you know in order to you know figure out who it goes to obviously and if that's encrypted then you have certain problems so, uh, you know, I don't exactly expect this, expect anyone to be using this anytime soon. So, uh, it seems like there would be a big infrastructure change to actually kind of make that work in the full implementation that they described there. So, you know, uh, it'd be kind of interesting to see how this develops. So, I mean, unfortunately, I don't really see this being, uh, widely adopted, uh, at least not for a very long time. So, uh, speaking of uh, encryption and, uh, like, NSA stuff, uh, we haven't beaten up on the NSA in a long time, and I think it's about time we started to again. So, the Electronic Frontiers Foundation has a rundown of what they have uncovered last year about the NSA and what they're doing this year. Uh, so they, uh, have some bullet points here. Uh, they, uh, uncovered the NSA Mystic Program. Uh, which recorded every single cell phone call in the occurring in the Bahamas and in Afghanistan, and keeping those for a month. Uh, they apparently the NSA targets system administrators. Uh, so like they're trying to like either break into like systems administrators' computers themselves or trying to subvert them. Uh, so the NSA also partners and exploits uh, mobile apps. Uh, like even Angry Birds, to access users' private information. Uh, the NSA sought to develop capabilities to infect millions of computers with malware. Uh, the NSA dish fire operation collects 20 or 200 million text messages daily. Uh, and apparently the NSA intercepts millions of images per day, including about 55,000 facial recognition quality images. And process this them with uh, powerful software, so uh, like that's sort of disturbing, uh, but uh, you can't exactly stop that from happening, unfortunately. So like especially if you go on Facebook and you start you know doing uh, facial recognition on everything, uh, you get sort of a creepy database, which you know Facebook and Google and stuff they already do that anyway. So yeah. yes. Um, the NSA spies on civic leaders and model citizens. Uh, the Intercept put a face to NSA spying, publishing an article on the profile of five American Muslim leaders who have been targeted for surveillance. Uh, they are an attorney, two professors, a former member of the Bush administration, in the founder of the and the founder of the Council on American Islamic Relations. Uh, so. As for what's coming up, they have uh, launched a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit 
uh, to, you know, figure out some more things and a campaign campaign to reform executive order 12333, uh, which is uh, apparently what the NSA was using before they got the Patriot Act and all the other stuff that they're uh, doing now. Uh, so, yeah. And, and kind of like the, the scary part of it all is half of it's secret and hush hush and they aren't don't obviously want to tell you about it so there could be other stuff and is other stuff that they're doing and we just don't know what what all they're doing and to what extent yeah even though we do have a pretty good picture from uh the the papers from snowden i was reading your your next article here from uh that was talking about all the different things that they discovered from snowden it was pretty pretty good okay uh yeah this link here from dare spiegel uh, the NSA is at it again, trying to break encryption. Uh, apparently, it's already cracked Skype, uh, which is really bad, but less so for us because we're actually publicly publicly releasing this as a podcast. So it doesn't matter in this case. <laughs> which hi NSA, hi NSA. Um, which but for others, it's terrifically bad. Um, uh, so apparently, PGP is safe. Uh, but some VPNs are not, um, and it looks like so. An interesting con- go on. I say an interesting connection I made between this article and the previous one. It spoke in the previous one about how they're targeting system administrators, and in this article it mentioned how they've cracked SSH, which yeah, is basically kind of targeting system administrators because you're that's mainly the people that use SSH. Uh, yeah, that's uh, you know. Apparently, they've said they've cracked parts of it. So, by parts of it, I'm wondering if that means, like, certain protocols and handshakes. Um, to see, I actually have a, uh, a link here, uh, that actually gives some tips on how to, uh, tighten up secure, uh, like SSH. Um, so, like, some of the, uh, some of the opinions in this article are sort of, uh, uh, let's say inconsistent. Uh, like, uh, apparently this guy is against, uh, NIST-based algorithms, uh, but then, like, f- in a few places he goes against that, um, so... Do you think that this guy isn't exactly telling the full story of the article? Well, he's, he's inconsistent, and, uh, I don't know, he's sort of like a crazy guy, I guess. <laughs> one of those privacy freaks that's yes. worried about... One of, one of those, uh, you know, uh, gun-holding, get-off-my-lawn type of people. Um, so he... Uh, Never be carried off. So you can uh, go through this and uh, glean some information on how to, uh, you know, a lot of this is uh, pretty good stuff. So... Uh, so it, was, it mentioned uh, someplace that one, some of the secure combinations that they were saying the NSA supposedly couldn't get at. One of them was uh, for the name of the network here. I'm trying to find it. It was it's like a it's like a private browsing uh, service where you with the the servers distributed around the the country and it's all encrypted data. Uh, Tor. Tor. Yeah, that that was it. They said combining Tor with there was another encryption service for like text and talking mm-hmm. or something and they're saying like you're stacking the two encryption methods together that the NSA individually has trouble with you stack them both together then that's giving you a, a somewhat decently secure level of communication that's encrypted 
So the uh, Canada uh, Communication Security Establishment, or CSEC, uh, even monitors sites devoted to the country's national pastime. We have noticed a large increase in chat activity on the Hockey Talk sites. This is likely due to the beginning of the playoff season, it says in one presentation. It's like, brilliant. <laughs> so evidently, they just must monitor everything on the internet. And like, I wonder why there's so many people talking about that. And someone's sitting there like laughing. It's like, duh, it's hockey, hockey season. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We do have some podcast feedback this week. Uh, Ian asks, can you elaborate on the difference between OpenID and OAuth? Uh, so uh, from what I can remember, uh, OpenID is for authentication only. Uh, so like it's essentially a replacement for username and password. Uh, OAuth is that plus a whole bunch of other things. Like you can ask the uh the authority on you know like whoever like say uh website x uh wants google to verify the identity of someone uh site x can ask google for uh like the person's email address uh they can ask uh like do they have a google plus profile and like can i use that to uh figure out where this guy lives uh uh, can I get information on like the Google Plus circles of this guy and uh, tons of other things that can be very specific to that one authority? Uh, so you know it's, it's more than authentication for OAuth. Uh, Ian asks cat, and I say syntax error, incomplete clause, unable to identify verb. Uh, did you notice that uh, last week in the? Uh, I, I can't. I remember there's something about a syntax error. We talked about syntax. I, I don't remember the cat reference. Okay, so if you uh, uh, have some sort of uh, uh, music player that can look at album art embedded in the file, you will notice that last week the uh, file had uh, a cat for the album art because the title was Album Art Cat. So, so the the picture of the album art was a cat? Yes, and okay. just for reference, I, I saw. P- and just for reference, that was my cat. It was your cat. Yeah, from like I don't know, ten years ago. He's dead now. Okay, I was gonna say because I, I didn't remember remember seeing your cat flitting around your apartment when I was there the one time. <laughs> I need to find. Uh, I have a video someplace of my cat that's long since deceased as well, but he could do tricks like shake paws and like salute and lay down and sit on command. I have a video of him someplace. I need to find that video. I want to put it on YouTube so I don't like lose it any place. So in response to uh, Skype's automatic translation feature, uh, Ian uh, just took a trip over to Europe. I believe he spent a lot of time in Sweden, uh, but I think before they uh, approved his visa, he spent a little time in Germany for like a couple days. Uh, and he said that I tried to use Google Translator's live translation feature in Germany. It sucked. We ended up having to type what we wanted to say. 
So uh, Ian also adds, I wish that Andrew had proper a proper Android device so he could tell us what kind of solutions there are to listening for listening to high quality audio. Does the built-in player support it out of the box? Too much effort for for me to check. And I guess I really didn't make it clear, uh, but the only hint that this thing is running Android underneath the covers is because I poked around the software licenses and uh, looked at the file system. So, like, this isn't really uh, meant to be used as an Android device. It just happens to run Android because they needed an operating system. So they uh, used the uh, Android open source project for that. Uh, so, like, there's, like, no Google Play Store or anything. So a good analogy might be the Nook operating system that they run. It's actually Android, but yeah, something it doesn't like look like Android. Something like that, yeah. Uh, so, and, uh, like, especially with the uh, Pono player... Uh, like they focus, you know, not not really on the software, but on the hardware. Uh, like especially on the uh, uh, digital analog converters, and uh, like also the layout of the board. Like they claim to have laid it out so there's like as minimal frequency and electrical interference as possible uh, between the components. Their approach makes sense in the in the aspect that the hardware you do once, or you should only do once. And but the software is really easy to patch later in comparison to the patching the hardware. So if you get the hardware right on the first try, at least then you can take more time to fix the software. So and uh, let's see, like the original firmware, uh, like for uh, FLAC files, it did not uh, play them. Uh, it how should I say this gapless playback? It did not support those on FLAC files. Uh, but then an update was released like a week before Christmas that fixed that. So what is a gapless playback? So like, have you ever listened to a CD and noticed like a two second gap between the tracks? Yes. So gapless means that like it flows into one, uh, flows from the one song into another seamlessly. Aha. So like, I've noticed that some of the albums I have, like at the very end of the track, it starts to fade into the next one. So if there's a gap in between there, it's really obvious that there is one. I see. So it's actually playing both at the same time since it's fading yeah. versus stopping. So, so having gapless playback there, you know, is really nice. So they were, you know, of course, you know, that's just a software thing. So uh, that was, you know, fairly quickly fixed. Um, speaking of, uh, they should be, uh, I should say, opening everything to the public now that CES is here. I believe that, uh, like, they're actually presenting, or at least showing the Pono player off at CES. Um, I believe, uh, let's see, the next batch of Intel chips got released, and by next batch, I mean the, uh, sort of thin and light, uh, mobile processors, uh, like, not the tablet processors, but like the, uh, like the laptop, you know, like the thin and light laptops. Uh, they have not yet released the, uh, I should say greater than 45 watt chips, uh, which are like the higher end laptops and desktop chips. Uh, I believe they will be doing that, uh, they say mid 2015, uh, which like an exact date, I have no idea, but I think I might actually want to jump on these, uh, after some reviews come out. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I, uh, thought of Ryan today, uh, and all this Intel news. They also, Intel also, uh, uh, released the next wave of Atom chips. 
and I believe uh, Asus uh, released a phone that had an Atom chip in it. So I wonder, Ryan, if you're going to get that, because apparently there's not going to be any more uh, Snapdragon chips ever. And what are you going to do? Buy a Tegra? Give me a break. So, uh, uh, let's see. I think that's all the uh, CES news that I really paid attention to. Um, unless you have something to add for that. Uh, no, I wasn't following the CES, so... <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I guess, uh, uh, Ian will be calling me up, uh, I believe it's tomorrow, to, uh, have an interview for the, uh, the 8-bit 100th episode or whatever, uh, celebration. Uh, so I'll probably, re- uh, be editing my show, uh, this episode, in fact, uh, tomorrow as well. Um... Let's see, as far as that goes, uh, you're probably not going to be down here uh, on Saturday, are you? Uh, no, the the plan's not to be down there on Saturday. So. Okay. I, I did already tell Chris that the, I was up north for Friday and Saturday, so you guys can yeah. make plans without me there. Yeah, he uh, wants to go to that uh, fusion place. He always He never actually identified it as a restaurant, uh, which really confused me. So that he did that to me the one this is a few weeks he he texted me fusion and I, I was like I don't even know what that is and he never texted me back yeah he he made it sound out like it was some sort of laser tag place or something <laughs> you know if he said it was a restaurant okay I understand a restaurant but he never identified it as anything it's like what are they have do they have a nuclear reactor there I mean like, I, I wasn't aware that they were doing nuclear research, you know, down in Washington. So, uh, and then, uh, uh, like, he's texted you, uh, I'm pretty sure he's texted you many times saying that something's on 19. He does text me quite often that something is on 19. That's a pretty common thing. It's like, I ask, where is it at? Oh, it's on 19. Can't yeah. Miss it. Yeah. It's by and... the get-go. I found the wrong get-go. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. And I'm surprised that since Chris has such a problem with vagueness, that when he says it's on 19, uh, well, do you realize that 19 is like hundreds of miles long? Um, and it's even, even the, uh, territory of 19 that you frequent is also several miles long. <laughs> so, you know, that's pretty vague. It is very vague. So, uh, I'm gonna call him up, uh, on Saturday and say, okay, I'm on 19. Where are you at? <laughs> and then, and then he's like, well, I'm on 19 too. It's like, I don't see you. And then he'll ask, you know, when he gets around to asking, it's like, okay, where on 19 are you at? And I'll say, well, I'm uh, driving around the Galleria here, <laughs> which, which is like 10 miles north of, uh, like the restaurant he wants to go to. Yes, because the restaurant's down in Washington. So, yeah, so, uh, like, I'll wait for him to flip out. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I'm going to be late. And then, like, I'll do that right outside and just, like, walk in. So Time travel. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, I'll have a little fun with him. Um, let's see. And, uh, I will, I have ordered a new computer case, uh, for my desktop. Um, so for the past, like, six years or so, uh, probably seven, I forget. Uh, like, when I built this machine in 2008, uh, I had a micro ATX case, uh, with a handle on it so I could take it to LAN parties. 
And then I realized uh, maybe a year ago that I don't go to LAN parties anymore. And every time I have to mess with something in my computer, I have to essentially take it all apart uh, in order to get to get to anything. Uh So I'm like, okay, I've had enough of this. And I ordered a uh, a fairly nice case. Um, So especially when I realized that I had uh, uh, two two terabyte hard drives sitting around on my server that weren't doing anything that I had sort of forgotten about when I bought my four terabyte drives um, that uh, I'm like, oh, hey, I have these lying around. So I was like, okay, I could throw these in my desktop and uh, like image all the other drives to it. So and I also went around and uh, deleted a whole bunch of stuff uh, from my junk folder in my server. So I've, uh, you know, actually freed up uh, quite a bit of space. Impressive. It's always hard to free up space and hard drives. You get them all full and it's like, what did I put in there? So especially when I realized that about a hundred or so gigs on my uh, hard drive was mostly Steam games that I just had lying around that weren't in my playing list. Um, so then uh, remember all that classical music that I downloaded several months ago? I do remember you saying about classical music that you so downloaded. So like two weeks ago, I had an epiphany in that I'm not a classical music fan. I am a wannabe classical music fan. A wannabe? Yes. Meaning you haven't listened to it yet? Well, meaning that I want to get into it, but I haven't yet. And I realized that I downloaded all this music because I wanted something really nice to listen to. Like, like really high quality, since I'm apparently an audiophile now. Seems to be. So I started listening to this, and about half of it seems to be ripped from records. So it's all, like, scratchy and uh, <laughs> has, like, sort of a really funny sound to it. So I'm like, okay, until I get a greater appreciation for classical music, I'm deleting all of this. And suddenly I'm, like, freed up 20 gigs. Well, 20 gigs. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I spent uh, some of my New Year's time off doing that. Uh, plus I have about four blog posts I want to write. So, yeah. Uh, any fun for you? Well, working, of course, and got some deer hides that are frozen now. They're supposed to be, uh, the process according to the book that I read is called the bucking process, which means you soak them in ash in an attempt to make the grain that holds the hair on the hide as well, so that you can then scrape that grain off. Right. But the hides are frozen, so... I think I need to unthaw them, or thaw them, rather, so that I can do that. So that maybe is what exciting things I'll be doing. Well, hey, it's, uh, isn't uh, freezing a preservative? Freezing is a preservative, so that kind of works in that sense. I, I can leave them like that for a while, too, so, so it's not an immediate need. So, uh, by the way, uh, for future slash people who don't live here reference, it is, like, fluctuating between, like, Five and 20 degrees here for like the last couple days and going to be for the next couple of days so like everything is like completely frozen it is very cold out there last night I, I got back home to my parents house and my brother had the cat up in his room which I share with him and I don't allow him to take the cat to bed with him because <laughs> she jumps over stuff on my toothbrush and every place else <laughs> so 
I take her and I throw her outside. A few minutes later, Caleb comes back down and he's like, you didn't put the cat out, did you? I'm like, yeah, of course I did. I put her outside. He's like, it's like 16 degrees out there. I'm like, so? <laughs> but evidently, he, he thought it was too cold for the cat. So, um, yeah, if, if you had said, yeah, I put her outside of the room, like in the hallway and not outside of the house, it would be a little different. So. She has, we have, we have an outdoor wood furnace, so she really got cold. She could go crawl underneath that. She'd make it happen. So. But anyways, she got a nice cozy spot in the basement next to a radiator, I guess. Hmm. So, all right. I uh, guess that's it, right? Yep. All right. So uh, have a good one. You too.